It was a full house today on The Arsenic Show with Andrew Cates, Chris Sanchez, and Dustin Cox of Salient Strategies. Salient is a bipartisan lobbying firm based out of Austin, Texas. We had a candid discussion around how bills actually get written and passed, how they aim for bipartisan support, the unintended consequences of bad legislation, the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution, political action committees, and more. This is what teachers frustratingly fail to teach in civics class. Without additional delay, please enjoy my conversation with Andrew Cates, Chris Sanchez, and Dustin Cox. Welcome to the Arsenic Show. I've got a very interesting episode for us today. Um, this is the first time I brought in multiple guests, and of course I went big and went three instead of two. Uh, I figure next time I just get a basketball team in here or something and really just blow it out. But with me today, I have the Salient Strategies team. Um, I'm not going to do my normal uh, introductions. I'm going to let you do it so the people listening will be able to hear your voice. Would you please go, sir? Sure. Yeah, I'll start. Uh, my name is Andrew Cates. Uh, I go by Andy. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, part of the team here at Salient Strategies, senior partner. Um, I'm an attorney. I'm the lonely attorney of the group. Uh, and I usually introduce myself as a combination of the two most hated professions in the U.S., mm. lawyer and lobbyist. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I think that <laughs> might qualify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Chris Sanchez. I'm also one of the senior partners here at Salient. Uh, my kind of background is coming up at the Capitol for 15-plus years, and you get to a point where you got to realize you got to make some real money. So mm -hmm. joined up with these guys back in about uh, 2019, and I've uh, been doing this ever since. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Dustin Cox here. Uh, third, third co-founder of the firm. Uh, we've been doing this for about three years, as they all said, and from a policy wonk, appreciate you having us on the show and looking forward to kind of getting into this today. Yeah, great. Well, thank you again, guys. This is, uh, I know it's kind of difficult to take this much time out of your day, especially for something like this, but I really appreciate you coming down for a number of reasons, uh, which we will get into. But uh, before I do that, one of the things I think is most interesting is that I happen to know you guys have different political views. <laughs> um, <clears throat> little, little, little secret about you guys, which I think is actually really compelling. I do not want you to disclose to the camera during this episode what you are and what your beliefs are during this episode until the very end, if you're okay with that. That's fair. That's a great I, exercise. <clears throat> because I think one of the things that's interesting about this is you guys are in the heart of Texas. It's about as blue as it gets um, in downtown Austin but it's surrounded by this gigantic red ocean. And so it's kind of interesting that you guys have to play this interesting political game where you might have to be talking to one person one day and have a completely different opinion on what needs to get passed from a lobbying perspective the very next day. <clears throat> Am I wrong about that? Does that? No, not, not at all. I mean, we, um, I mean, that's, that's kind of the job, you know, I mean, it, our political preferences, our political affiliations are mostly irrelevant um, because, you know, the legislature is what it is, and the, the legislators there are who they are, and at, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if there's, you know, 11 Republicans on a committee or 11 Democrats or split down the middle, you still have to get all the votes no matter mm -hmm. what, so you have to go and, and make your case to everybody, so mm -hmm. um, we, we pretty much leave our political affiliations out of it. Yeah, and that's, you know, certainly harder to do uh, in this day and age, in this uh, environment. Yeah, well, I would say that one of the things I would... I'm surprised that this works <clears throat> because oftentimes I, I would just assume that someone would be putting a lot of pressure on you one way or another to say, no, go in and submarine that bill. Like go, go make whole like our team, but you guys really do have to play both sides just to make things work at all in Texas. I think it's a point of finding commonality. I think that's really what our job is in, in figuring out what motivates different legislators or these different office holders. 
Uh, and usually these issues, you know, drive the narrative for themselves. And it's our job to figure out how that narrative aligns with the legislature. To Andy's point, the deck's already set by the time where they're trying to influence the legislation. And so, and when I say deck, I mean the players. And so you know what they're involved, uh, you know their preferences, you know what strokes them. Um, and so it's really trying to, to try to align that based on what the client needs and how to push that priority forward. Yeah, and usually we don't, we don't really talk party because you know in texas the the legislature isn't they don't really make decisions most of the time off of party hmm. it's and it's it, because i mean that's what that's that, what that DC, that's that's dc <clears throat> that doesn't jive with what most people's impression of texas is yeah i know and and and, and you know dc does i mean it, you do not vote for something as a democrat uh that's a republican-led bill you just don't that's how they do it right so um in texas that's it's not really that way all the time hmm. um it's more of a uh, rural versus urban and suburban fight hmm. uh, than it is party. And so we just have to go in and tailor our arguments about, you know, a bill or a client to what they might care about. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be different if it's an urban <clears throat> legislator versus a rural legislator. So for the audience, your job is to guess what these, uh, what these fellows believe without them telling you. So... I would um, say take an educated guess as to what they actually believe yes, more than a guess. But yeah, yeah. there's yeah. some alignment with the parties, uh, no doubt. Um, but I think, again, to, to, to some of the points that have been brought up already, you know, these folks are once they're in office and once they're not out on the trail, the agendas are kind of being set by our big three here in Texas, the governor, the lieutenant governor, the speaker of the House and, you know, leadership, the de facto leadership. And so from there, we can get a good idea or a good sense of what's coming down the pike and, and what the discussion may look like. Um, and then everything else is just a curveball. There's a lot of the stuff that just gets done on the fly, on the spot. You know, Texas has a, a very unique process where we meet once every two years. And so it's 140 days. It's a crash course, uh, very dynamic, very fast paced, but it's also by design. Mm -hmm. um, some of that is to limit the type of legislation that gets passed to avoid <clears throat> bad policy, bad legislation being passed. So can, can we talk a little bit about Stanley just for a moment? Like what when you guys first came to me, it was really about a very set specific things that you wanted to go tackle, you know, big, big technology type things. Could you talk a little bit about the areas that you guys want to be focused just so so we're talking about the same thing at the same time? Sure. So, you know, we, we work here in Austin. Uh, the capital is here, here in Austin and Austin is a very dynamic workforce and a very dynamic uh, environment when it comes to innovation. And we feel that for a very long time now that those innovators at the Capitol have been very uh, not even misrepresented. They haven't even shown up. So we're out there trying to get the folks that are out, that are trying to be innovative in new technologies and new companies to come to us and come to the Capitol and bring their message of what they need to be successful to the folks that are making decisions without any sort of input from the folks that are being affected by these decisions. Such as, though, give, give me some specifics. What are, what industries are you sure. most interested in? I mean, we're looking at everything, cybersecurity, space, quantum computing even. Uh, we're really starting to look at what's going to be the, the policy discussions that are going to happen for the next 5, 10, 15 years. Space. Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's the emerging <clears throat> technologies, the, the innovations that right now don't have some sort of regulatory regime guiding them, either, like they said, misrepresented, misguided, ill-informed, such a cutting uh, a cutting edge technology that it's not understood by the normal policymaker or, or average citizen. And so to to craft legislation and to create, to ensure that the legislation that's being crafted is not stifling that industry's innovation and is also being conducive to some of the priorities that these legislators are discussing uh, and trying to find, you know, pulling on a lever around economic workforce, as Chris, as Chris mentioned, right? Those are all things in this ecosystem that are very circular in 360. Um, it's our job to make sure that all those pieces uh, are, are, are aligned and are working in that kind of circular ecosystem. Well, on the other side of that is that um, we kind of 
the three of us kind of hit on the three different big pots of money at the Capitol too. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the three biggest drivers in the budget are healthcare, education, and transportation. And we have that collective background to kind of knock out all three of those. Um, so even and, if it's not high tech, that's still something you guys can mm -hmm. handle, but your focus is mostly this cutting edge stuff because no one's really touching it. Yeah, that's exactly. Exactly. It's precisely. A, it's, a, it's a blue ocean yeah. ecosystem for you. Yeah, that's okay. right. Got it. Un untapped market for us. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah, I would. I could. I could see that because I often see legislation getting passed that is just abysmal, and I can tell it has not been well lobbied. It's just someone on <laughs> back of napkin sort of came up yeah, with something. Sometimes so. not very well informed. Right. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I have. I I went through a civics class. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'll just laugh. Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, sorry, but sorry. it is it is exactly that bad. Um, I feel like I was wildly misinformed about basically every single detail about how bills actually become real things. So um, I would like to spend a little time talking about uh, a quick story before I go into this, but I'd like to get your take on on how laws really get done in Texas. <clears throat> Shit. And, and, <laughs> right. Uh, but but then um, before that, I was watching something this one time. It was like this, you know, KNV2 or something coming to you straight from Oklahoma or wherever <clears throat> this place was that this was happening. It was a it was this undercover thing where they had gotten these uh, journalists to wear these wires and they went into this this um, um, Hilton somewhere or something and they found all these uh, senators or whatever, state congressmen or whatever, just kind of hanging out, just kind of randomly all met up somewhere one day. And then they, they, there was police presence there for some reason, but they weren't allowed to go in, but there wasn't enough limits, but they weren't going to arrest them, but they weren't allowed to come in. And it was sort of this big ballroom where a bunch of people came in. I'm assuming lobbyists, but that was never made clear. And, uh, and they asked them, what are you doing here? And they're like, oh, we're just here on vacation. Like, oh, all of you are on vacation at the <laughs> Hilton and this place all at the same time. And then <clears throat> later that evening, they picked off uh, one of the guys at the bar. They had an attractive uh, journalist who was um, kind of just hanging out by the bar randomly, asking him a bunch of questions, like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, we're meeting with the lobbyists. They're the ones who write the bill, and we basically make this happen. And I was talking to another friend of mine about this exact topic. He's like, oh, that is pretty much, I mean, that could have been Texas. Uh, I mean, it sounds like it wasn't Texas because it wasn't, but the, I mean, it might as well have been that way. How far off is that? And and give me the give me the steps that really happen. We have to work he, in this he industry. He was going to say he's going to get us in trouble. <laughs> so, I mean, go ahead. So I would say, you know, back to your previous point, Schoolhouse Rock's a bunch of bullshit. Uh, <laughs> if, if I wanted to tell you the real process of how the how to pass a bill at the Capitol, sure. I would really need a three-dimensional, maybe even four-dimensional holographic display to kind of course, actually show... It takes show time, where, too. Yeah, <laughs> to show where all the inputs are and to where every bill can fail along this process. And mm -hmm. that is what the process is actually designed to do. It's designed to kill legislation, not pass legislation. So where we come in as legislative professionals is to understand the inputs of that process that aren't actually on paper and aren't really spoken of. Mm -hmm. It's the things like the personal relationships between the members themselves. It's the partisanship. And by that, I don't mean Republican versus Democrat. I mean, Houston versus, you know, Houston versus Dallas or rural versus urban. Mm -hmm. uh, and and the, then the policy itself actually comes in maybe towards the end of these inputs of how to get a bill passed. You know, if you have the greatest idea in the world and you have a member carry it who's the best member in the world to carry this bill, 
but it goes to a committee where they've pissed off that chairman for some reason. Maybe they didn't show up to a, a birthday happy hour or something, and that has happened before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that bill's dead. Sounds like there's a story there. Yeah, <laughs> that, that bill's dead. And it's none of your your work that's, that's gone into killing that bill. It's just the personal relationships that, that go into the passing that bill are just wrong. So yeah. there's a lot of that that happens. Outlier of the con- or outlier of the process or co- unintended consequences sometimes of it. You know, another, I think, good factor about what our work does, too, is understanding the political process, the inside baseball, and understanding the governance, the accountability, the S- Such as what? G- give me an example. Ethics well, attorney, go ahead and step yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I would say that um, about 10% of what you read in the news is the whole story, uh, especially around the Capitol. Everything that happens is behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. For instance... The Texas Senate, for instance, they come in and, and, and if you're in there, you're watching it on TV, you're watching it on the live stream or you're in the gallery watching it. It looks like they're not doing anything at any given time. They've already made up their mind. They've already made up their mind. Everything is predetermined. They go in, they vote on the rare occasions. They have the kind of big flashpoint bills, um, you know. They have We're all uh, living in a simulation right now. <laughs> the, the, you know, the Wendy Davis stand up and filibuster for uh-huh. however many hours kind of moments, all that. But generally speaking, it's all done ahead of time. And sometimes they just come in and they read off votes and nobody's even there. And it's because they've all done it behind the scenes. Um, so, you know, you hear something, you see something, you read it on the news, you read it in the newspaper. That's not the whole story. It, it just isn't, you know, because there are like Chris said, there are flashpoints that happen behind the scenes. There are personal feelings that get hurt. There are, you know, a lot of horse trading, I would imagine. Very so, much. Absolutely. A lot of horse trading, a lot of, um, you know, I mean, I see some people say, you know, well, it, it sounds like it's high school. It's more like middle school. Mm. Um, it's, it's very much like <laughs> middle school over there. It's, it's a lot of, a lot of people getting butt hurt over things that people say. And that's just how it is. I mean, it's, it's our job to navigate that, to figure out the personal relationships, to figure out what makes these people tick and and make it so that it's not even an educated guess that it's more of a we've done the research we figured out who these people are we've figured out what makes them tick and and we we'll say with certainty and, and where we can kind of pull on heartstrings or whatever so there has to be situations where there is the positive like there is the true believer but they're actually good solid human beings they're not they're not just out there trying to you know steal whatever they can steal I'm imagining there's sort of both, you, and you probably have, know which ones are which, I would imagine. I, I mean, I would say, well, I would say I've probably only met a few in the time that I've been around that is actually legitimately bad. Hmm. Most of the people up there, especially, my God, especially the staffers, the staffers are mm-hmm. That would make sense. Legit. Because they're really um, doing it for nothing almost. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're, they're working their asses off. And, I mean, look, we were all former staffers. So sure. Yeah, yeah. Bit biased. Yeah, super biased. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they deserve more money. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, but most of those legislators go in there, and, and they're there for the, the reasons that they say they're there for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, t- shit happens along the line, and they take hard votes, and they get put in bad positions, and they get their, you know, their statements or their votes or whatever twisted by whoever, um, especially people that want to do them harm. Mm-hmm. And they come out looking like a terrible person. Uh, but most of them aren't. I mean, most of them are really good people. Yeah, you know, uh, 
that's the thing that, that we don't really keep in mind for a lot of this thing is that these are people that we're talking about. You know, they just they have the same shortcomings that I'm sure we all have in this room. And oh, not me, of course. Of course, <laughs> not Robert. Robert, of course, excluded in this. But for the most uh, for the most part, we're we're human. You know, we have the same human pitfalls that everyone kind of falls into. Uh, but that that's part of the process, and it's it's kind of how to to navigate that process and no, navigate those pitfalls that really lends yourself to success at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's a very dehumanizing process to run for office and be elected because well, I, all I imagine, you do is get shit on well, and all also the time. you have to make every promise that has to be made and that this can be really conflicting promises it's in the public eye and in the age of information right now it's a lot easier for your constituent base or someone who's in opposition of an issue to to feel empowered or empowered excuse me to to voice their opinion um and so yeah those those bad actors exist but i think genuinely on the whole people are there to do good good service Legislators are making what six hundred dollars a year, six hundred dollars a month. It's, it's a nominal salary, you know. What? Yeah, <laughs> so six hundred bucks a month in Texas, at least in not Texas. Congress. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so I, I do want to have a little soapbox moment, sure. uh, as well about lobbyists um, and and like I said, legislative staffers, um, because it's also really dehumanizing for us. I can imagine. <laughs> you know, like I, it's it, got to be it, a lot like sales in general. I yeah. I mean, it's, it's a joke and I, I, I do it to kind of break the ice a lot of the time in the, in the intro of I'm two most hated professions in the U S and whatever. But yeah, we get shit on a lot, I bet. you know, because we, everybody assumes we're, we're all, you know, uh, with big tobacco and big oil or whatever, you Got know, bags and, of money. Yeah. Around. Yeah. And we're bribing everybody and all that. And it's, it's not, I mean, that meme that you pulled up in our presentations is one thinks that I'd beat a baby seal. One yeah. thinks that, you know, we're out just whining and dining and spending okay, so, money. So change the audience's opinion. You have, you have okay, a few minutes so, to do it. Let great. Me. No, I'm, I got it okay. locked. Okay. So imagine I use this a lot in my presentations. Imagine you got elected tomorrow to city council and in the next two weeks you had to make big decisions on the police budget uh stuff going on with black lives matter the uh water infrastructure and the water table and i don't know 35 sucks and i hate hate driving my community let's throw that in there yeah and homelessness right you've got your expertise and it's not in any of those things. Yeah, I'm a, probably a car dealer or something. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. right. Or you can and, literally use your background for this instance, yeah. you know, to be honest. Well, let's like, not do that. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> and, and, that might actually open up some more doors for you. And, you know, obviously you can hire staff, Sure. you know, and that staff goes a long way. And, you know, we learn as staff as we go and we, we learn as much as we possibly can. But there's there are limits. You know, and especially in in these big offices, you you specialize. You know, I'm I'm the water person. I'm the water and the transportation person. Okay, cool. Well, but what about homelessness? What about the police force budget? You know, what about the budget overall? It, they just can't learn everything all at once at all times and have a um, an informed opinion to make an informed vote. And so, and you're, so, so you're saying that you, that's what you provide. You that's provide. The va- it's one of the value adds. It's mm-hmm. not just what we provide, but it's a, definitely a value add. And again, it's understanding that inside process and being able to speed that up and condense it down to help you assimilate to your on-the-job training. Mm-hmm. Um, how many bills do, you know, thousands of bills get brought before the legislature each, each and every session and only several hundred are passing, right? And so there's a, there's a huge weed-out process, but those members still have to vote either at the committee stage or at some point when it's come up in front of them, they have to make a decision on those particular measures. And so having either a lobby team or a well-equipped uh, staff or both 
to help inform you on the issue and drive the conversation and also separate fact from fiction because there's a lot of that going mm-hmm. around, a lot of that misinformation. It's so, an integral part of the cog in the, in the machine, to be quite honest so, with you. So, a devil's advocate, have you guys ever met a law or that you just didn't like? Um, has it ever crossed your table? You're like, nope. well, I thought we weren't going to get into parties before <laughs> the end of this there, Robert. I didn't ask which the law was. But I, it, have you... it happens but, all the time. Yeah. You know, uh, even as, as a former staffer, uh, mm-hmm. there were bills that, that my bosses would be voting for that I may not necessarily agree on personally, but it is my job to serve the people of that district that I'm, I'm representing in that office and to think what the, how would they would think and how would they think on a bill like this. And even though it might be different from what I'm thinking, it's my job to be the professional and to to provide the most relevant information to the member that I'm working for at that time. And that, that goes into the lobby realm as well. Your job is to educate and to provide the most relevant information to the folks who are making those decisions. And that's really a large part of what we do it's quite frankly just educating folks on issues they're not having any sort of experience. But or, if your ethics say that this is going to hurt a lot of people, do you get to say I'm not going to I'm not going to help you with this one? Now, having said that, <laughs> <laughs> if if the check clears and it's not something that is illegal or something that I would feel would be absolutely morally 100% reprehensible, mm-hmm. we can have that conversation. Well, and mm-hmm. we we had that conversation between the three of us of the types of clients that we would not take. Okay. Um, so there is some cohort. There, there definitely are some okay. that are, honestly, I mean, either morally or just political landmines that we don't want to tie ourselves Talk to, to the, on to either the, to side the brand of our on own either brand. side yeah. yeah why get involved if it's going to create some sort of polarization to the salient brand right the, the, it's the, easier the big, to avoid it yeah sorry the, the big social topics um right. especially so you you guys want to stay away from the far right far left and stay more center it sounds like in some ways but in other ways too to chris's point you know we're, we're a hired gun we're paid advocates right and so mm-hmm. to us it's agnostic in that sense i'm able and i think that's why we're professionals we're able to separate our personal ideologies and philosophies to that of what our clients needs are or our prospective clients and and marry ourselves to that that's that's our job that's what we get paid to do we're we're supposed to be nimble and flexible and dynamic in that sense yeah there's a lot more there's a lot more to be gained from economic and business interests and a lot more bills that pass on business issues than any of these fringe social issues that tend not to hurt anybody in the process yeah Interesting. So how does this differ from other states? Are, are you seeing that this is pretty much how it works everywhere? Do you know? Do you talk to other lobbyists in other states? We, we do. do. Yeah. So Go part ahead. of what we've done uh, very intentionally and by design is, is create a hub and spoke. Uh, not You know, Texas is, is our bread and butter, is the policy area that we know the best. And um, But we also recognize that Texas is not limited in, its, in the businesses that it's bringing and that there's transactions taking place in, in all sorts of markets. And so uh, a couple of years ago, we decided um, to to start networking and creating strategic partnerships, and and so we've grown to about thirty plus different states right now, where we've got folks just like us, strategic partners, uh, that can help be turnkey and give us the localized uh, understanding of what the market is, what the what the factors are in that market, and how they might impact prospective clients. Uh, what we've also seen within that network is uh, a cross pollinating of our own clients, uh, where we have a need here in Texas that resonates in Florida and that of Minnesota and of New York. We're able to kind of triangulate that and, and help uh, provide a value add for our client again by turnkey by having a turnkey network available by giving them access to top level decision makers um, by you know mitigating barriers to entry in those particular markets. And one of the interesting things that we found in, in our research from you know the fifty states is that one. Texas is one of only two states in the nation that has a biennial legislature. So they mm-hmm. only come in once every two years. Everybody else is annually? Everybody yeah. else is either annually um, or, or all year 
with every breaks year in between. with right. some breaks or they show up every single year for a certain amount of time. Texas mm-hmm. doesn't do that. We we you know or they or they do a you know like a subject area um, session and then they do a budget session the next time around. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas only comes in for six months of every two years. But, I'm sorry. I think to your point though, uh, in being able to understand those different markets and those different legislatures. There is a little bit of modeling that takes place, and you're able to also see what some of the priorities that dif- you know that states that have an apple to apple comparison or even an apple to orange comparison that's representative of Texas. We're able to analyze that, and again, make some better informed decisions for either our firm or our clients or the market down here in Texas, and say, hey, you know, priorities that are going on in Florida right now are likely to resonate very similar here to Texas, given the kind of makeup of our legislature, and so we can kind of hone in on that and so try to make copy more copycat laws. You can yeah. you can make friends in other states and say if we band together, this might pass or whatever. And that's something that's really popped up in the in the past couple of years is legislation that you would see on say kind of the fringes of both parties is mm-hmm. starting to matriculate its way across the country. So bills you would see filed in Florida that pass, you might probably see them in Texas pass because there's a bit of a inter-party rivalry, let's say, between the two governors of both states and positioning them as to who's the most conservative governor uh, in the country, which mm-hmm. might play itself down the road uh, in certain presidential elections. Of course. So you're, you're starting to see that pop up more where Texas is very unique, but the legislation that you're in the issues that we're starting to see are resonating in other states at the same time. Very interesting. So let's walk through a sample law and walk me through how this might happen. So uh, this is something I talked to you guys about at one point. Let's say I want to have a little tiny piece of legislation that says those uh, 30-06, 30-07 placards that are outside bars, for instance. Let's have something where that uh, anytime that's present, it has to go into a registry somewhere. So someone is tracking that these things exist. Um, and you have a small charge uh, to have that thing there and to put yourself in the registry. That money goes to police officers who have to patrol the area because clearly no one with a gun is there other than the police. So, you know, fund the police appropriately for however many of these bars exist in any given region. Let's say I like that law. Let's say I want to get that one passed. What do you what do you what do you think would be the process of making that happen? Yeah, I'm going through the same checklist yeah, that Andy's probably checklist. going through. So you've got your built-in constituency in the bill. It's going to benefit police. In this environment in Texas, that's a very hard thing to say no to. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's also going to help gun owners in Texas, which in, in a state like Texas is a very big constituency. Mm-hmm. So you have some built-in groups that you can look to for for having internal support. You know that they're going to be there. They can contact their members. They're going to be there to show up and testify on that bill. So that puts us a little further ahead in getting a bill like that passed. Now, I would also look and see who would actually come out and be against a bill like this. Well, I could probably think maybe some of the business owners would be who are who would not necessarily want the extra step of registering with the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of the other uh, anti-gun groups would say would, would be out there saying this is going to be a, a, you know, keep businesses from putting out 30.6 and 30.7 signs. So I'm, I'm checking the box to see who would be out there, mm-hmm. who are the players, where are the pitfalls going to be from a 30,000 foot level. Uh, so that is a very interesting uh, thought conversation to have here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would I would look at the um, like municipal league cities, counties, um, see what they would have to say about it. Um, you know, if you could. So it's a bit of a fact finding mission. Uh, yeah, just kind of yeah, thinking right. about who who all the stakeholders would be in the situation on in each side and. You know, okay, well, if the city, you know, go to the cities and counties and and the big cities and say, you know, hey, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think? Oh, no, we can't do that. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. What if we cut a percentage of each fee? You know, the big one goes to DPS or police force or whatever. And a percentage of each one goes to your city. 
you know, in within your city limits. Oh, well, now they're on board, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's figuring out who the right sponsor is for that legislation, who's who's the the, the right person, not just the person you know mm-hmm. um, or <laughs> the person that wants it, mm-hmm. but who's the right person. Um, That's key. That maybe and, and, absolutely. And what key. is that? What does that typically look like? It's somebody a, in seniority, um, somebody in power. Uh, like on the House side, that would be somebody that is um, a lieutenant of the speaker uh, who has a chair of a relevant committee. So I would assume that would go to like a public, public safety, safety. Yeah, public, public safety, safety homeland security, something like that. So you try to get the chair of that committee to carry it uh, first, um, if nothing else, then to kiss the ring um, and then go from there and then start whipping votes and make sure people are on board. But you start pulling up research and pulling up, uh, you know, creating one pagers uh, with with data and facts on a lot of educating and informing. For sure. Yeah, you got to hit the all 200 offices there at the at the Capitol. Right? Yeah. Th- and make th- sure that they're well informed. This mm-hmm. is this is, you know, going to drive crime down by sure. X percent. And here's a bunch of research from Pew on what this is going to mean and what it's going to do and all that. And just, you know, Winning hearts and minds, essentially, at that point. Yeah, they often, you know, well, oftentimes the data uh, that's empirically backed helps drive the conversation. It's easy to kind of point to, and when you when you've got fact to support your argument, and so a lot of that due diligence that Andy's talking about is done on the front end, and what he's describing is how that legislation is formed, you know, in anticipation of that legislative session or during session and ongoing. But oftentimes, when you look at the Texas the Texas cycle, it's two years, right? And there's 18 months of developing these stakeholder relationships, creating that on-ramp, uh, because when when they're here in January, every, every every other odd year, you know, it's a fast-paced environment, as I was saying here at the outset. And so, so, so how long does that typically take? Is this a, I can do it in one session, no problem? Is it? It's usually incremental change. You usually take two or three sessions to pass the bill, to be quite honest, here in Texas. And again, it's part of by design, unless Andy will come to his McCop saying here in a second, that's why I already know I'm getting the blue steel look. Um, you know, so it's very incremental change and very slow. And again, that's by design. It's intentional. It's the way it's it's been set up and designed and structured to do. To limit the amount of laws in Texas. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my macabre saying, as Dustin said, um, my macabre saying is nothing happens quickly at the Texas Capitol unless a lot of people die or a lot of people go to jail. Otherwise... It's going to take a while. It's incremental change. You move the ball forward. It may not be everything you want, but it's probably more than you deserve. Mm. <laughs> and just keep chipping away at it. And there's also just, you know, there's luck and coincidence and happenstance that, that also plays right into the process. You know, there's plenty of priorities that we've seen on the table for the last decade that did not move until a global pandemic at the Texas mm-hmm. Capitol and really just kind of shook shit up and flipped it on upside down and, and really gave attention to some of these new technology innovations that we're talking about that really didn't have a voice there previously. When we all switched into this hybrid world or this digital world, you saw, you know, education is my background in Forte. You saw learning management solution companies coming out of the woodworks yeah, and, and helping <clears throat> actually survive and keep education on level, equitable, and on, on, on the same playing field and not having to miss, uh, you know, we missed some steps, but without having to miss as many as we would have had it not been there to replace it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's been lobbyists and there's been folks advocating for this technology change for decades now, and it took a global pandemic to make that shift. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's just good good luck, good fortune, good timing. Other times it's having a team like us of rock stars and experts that can get <laughs> shit done. Of course. So how do you aim for bipartisan support? How do you how do you craft it or how do you craft your message, I guess, uh, to get that sort of more broad appeal as opposed to just tackling one 
one of our exercises is a podcast just like this. I mean, it's yeah. personal privilege, another selfish plug for us, I guess. <laughs> uh, you can find us on YouTube. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, again, it's what Chris had mentioned earlier. It's we're all humans at the end of the day. We, you know, there's a humanistic element to, to being a legislator. And uh, we, I personally, we personally uh, at the firm try and find, you know, those strokes or, or those elements of, of folks to tap into and understand them for who they are. Um, and I find, or we find, that that is very successful in creating value for our clientele, to be quite honest. Yeah, it's it's finding, like Dustin said, the commonalities that we all have. You know, we all have uh, families. We all have, you know, if we have kids, we all have an interest in seeing those kids grow up and be as successful as they can. And a lot of the members do, too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny when you look at them as people, they are just like any other person you see on the street. And having a conversation with them is outside then at that point politics. It's just having a conversation with someone that you might have an interest with. And, and trying to find a common, enough commonality to get something passed at the Capitol. So it isn't a matter of crafting it to their particular political beliefs. You're just meeting them where they are as a human. Exactly I, right. I mean, you know, if there's, there's one particular office where, you know, I can walk in and I can talk pro wrestling with a member. You know, that's something that most of the general public doesn't know, but it's a way to, to have that commonality and something that is outside the building. And oh, by the way, Representative, while we're here, can I talk to you about this bill? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, I, I think that there is a, a certain amount of not only meeting them where they are in a personal level and getting to know them and having that, I mean, because our whole business is relationships to begin with. So sure. like our, in trust. Our, somehow we get paid to make <laughs> friends with people. Um, <laughs> Me too. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, also w- when it when it rubber really hits the road, we've still got to craft our message to what is going to resonate with that particular person. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, the, the exact same bill, you know, we can craft that message very differently depending on what the legislator's political point of view is. How palatable it would be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so there's definitely some curating, there's some fine-tuning and articulating that language to, I think, to some of what you were driving with your question. And so that's also part of the work of legislative writing and that crafting. And that's a skill and that's an art form um, that is very intentional and very few people, you know, harness or represent that type of quality. Um, and it's a, it's a special skill set and be able to kind of craft and create laws on your own is a value add to these clients, uh, especially when they don't know how to, again, navigate that realm. You know, legalese, even even in and of itself, is, is sometimes hard for folks to, to kind of understand. And so having someone there to represent you in that sense, uh, I think it goes a long way for them. Well, as a, for instance, you know, if we came in with a, you know, legalizing marijuana bill, mm-hmm. we would craft the cannabis to pitch. be correct. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Uh, we would craft the pitch to a certain office very differently depending on what office we're talking to, sure. right? So if like we went into a staunch far right Republican office, we already kind of know we're up against the wall on that. And so we would probably craft it as business, economic impact, personal freedom, personal freedom, all that kind of stuff. Agriculture, farming, well, exactly. something that's driving their constituent base, something that you know that's hitting back into their local economy. And how does that industry or this policy that you're trying to craft impact that one particular member? And so before the Farm Bill passed on cannabis in 2017, we wouldn't have been able to have that conversation with a rural conservative. Um, but the, you know, but the, you know, back to your point about incremental change in these laws, the placeholder was put in place in 2017 that allowed hemp uh, uh, to be to be sold and, and, and used in, in, um, yeah. in products here in Texas, excuse me. And so that was the stepping stone, right? And now that's going to seed hopefully more reform and more change around the medicinal space or adult use. And so it took that one placeholder to get in play to allow the conversation to further the agenda down the road. Yeah. And, but like, you know, I'm not, uh, we're not going to take, we wouldn't take a 
you know, business and personal freedom tactic to a super liberal member either. Mm -hmm. We'd, we'd go, you know, uh, getting people out of prison and not putting people in prison for, you know, small marijuana amount well, stuff, we'll, you know, that, that sort of thing. We'll you know get back I mean? to this because I actually want to talk about that as, as a sort of separate point. But one thing that I think is worrying to some people that I've talked to about lobbyists as a, as a profession is what happens when a criminal organization decides, hey, we need these laws passed. Like once upon a time, I was at a, a security conference and and sort of uh, off off the off the record sort of conference, and uh, there was like a no joke. We should get one of us elected to an office and start passing pro privacy bills uh, that allow us to stay under the radar and create more botnets and blah blah. blah. And this wasn't like a kind of a passing thought. This was like, <clears throat> okay, which one of us is going to be? And it, it started getting much further along than you might expect mm. uh, to the point where, you know campaign slogans were starting to be banded around. It didn't end up happening. This actually did not occur, but close enough that it really kind of worried me. And then when I saw something like Mitch McConnell, uh, he had some relatives who had a, uh, a, a ship that had like 90 pounds of cocaine on it or whatever. Um, it makes a lot of sense that he might be pro, like pro drug re regulation or whatever, because that drives up the price of cocaine. And then that 90 pounds is worth more as opposed to less. I'm not accusing him of actually having done that, but you can see how easy it would be to go down that path. Are, are you guys hearing any wind of that? Or is that, is that an ethical issue that you've ever kind of run up against or thought about or? I mean, I, I've never <clears throat> personally run up against something like that. You know, you always hear whispers or you always hear, hey, here's the real reason why someone had a piece of legislation because they had a personal interest in, in seeing that legislation passed. Mm -hmm. That does happen. Uh, again, that goes back to the point of these, these are people that we're talking about and people, some people at least, when given the opportunity to benefit themselves at, at the expense of others, we'll, we'll take that. Uh, it is a, a part of the process. It's an unfortunate part of the process. But it is not a, a widespread, I would say, issue or widespread, you know, sort of circumstance that you run, run up against. But uh, to say that it doesn't exist would be very naive, especially on, on our part. It, it seems like in, in my world, there's something called a software bill of goods. It's like, here's what is made up of, there's all the parts that make up this thing, this um, operating system or this piece of code or whatever. All the libraries, who made them, where they came from. It seems like one of the things that's missing is sort of like a legal bill of goods. Like, where did this come from? Who created this piece of legislation for real? I'm not saying who sponsored it. I'm saying, where did this really come from? <clears throat> do, do you guys feel like I would push back? Isn't our legal bill of goods the Bill of Rights in Constitution? I mean, to me, that I don't know. To me, that drives a lot of how I operate as a lobbyist and sometimes in, in my conviction and seeing how the laws are. I mean, to me, that's part of what government's job is to do is to set that framework and to set that regulation in many ways. Um, Obviously, there's going to be pulls and, and, and takes on that um, in different directions. But to me, you know, those are guiding documents, guiding principles for a reason, and, and they help really guide a lot of my principles. Uh, obviously, yeah, but you might be wildly more ethical than the bad guy, right? So <clears throat> we have to we have to account for both. But I, I think again, when you that that bad guy's outlier in the political process, and so I think there's more good than there is evil. And that but how do we know that if without a software bill of goods for for legislation, how do we know if I, mean, I don't know that it's you know, this guy who's clearly cartel is putting this thing forward. How, how, how do there's, we know? There's circuit breakers. I mean, you know, you mentioned the cartels. I'll, I'll go one step further in, as far as, you know, evil organizations, homeowners associations. <laughs> uh, there, was a, there was a former senator, state senator, who managed homeowners associations. And his legislation every year was dealing with homeowners associations. 
Now, you could say on one hand, he has the, the background knowledge of how these home HOAs actually operate and the business side of that. That's right. But they were grossly <clears throat> pushing the, the, the level of power towards favoring HOAs over actual homeowners. Mm -hmm. That is, I would say, an example of people actually using the process for personal gain. Uh, it, he's no longer a state, a state senator, so I can actually say that, that story. But mm -hmm. everybody knew this bill was coming from the HOAs themselves through a person they have elected to carry their legislation. And it happens across every industry you can think of. You know, doctors get elected by other doctors to carry legislation for doctors to benefit their medical practices. So it happens across every industry, uh, whether it's nefarious or not. Uh, that's that remains to be seen as the process plays out, but uh, it, it does happen. And it doesn't make for good PR or press either, right? And so mm -hmm. I think that too is also just a natural weed out or a mechanism that exists in the process that cuts it off before it gets too far along or before that person cedes too much power. Um, and ultimately, you know, you trying to come in as a legislator thinking that you're going to carry your agenda, <laughs> the fact that or the, the fact of that reality actually coming to play, it, you know, it, very few people actually come in with their direct agendas and get everything accomplished, mm -hmm. right? That takes sure. years to build up that type of credibility and power within leadership to be able to say that I'm going to do that. And so um, to say that it doesn't exist would wouldn't make sense, but I think that it, it's very, very minimal and very outlier from what I've seen. And I mean, I would take it a step further and say that it's impossible what you're what you're requesting here. Interesting. Um, just because, I mean, like, think about, you know, what everybody calls dark money. You know, that has been expanded and expanded, expanded, expanded since 2010, basically, Citizens United. Mm -hmm. um, corporations are people, and they can dump money into races sure. and all that and hide it and hide the eight ball and... Um, you know, at least we would know it's a company somewhere. Right. But the, the problem is when, you know, it's a it, it, it's a particular person that then funnels it through a corporation that then funnels it through a political action committee that then I mean, you just I, I could write it and hand mm -hmm. it to Chris, hand it to Dustin. Dustin hands it to you and it looks like it's from Dustin. Mm -hmm. And there's no way to know that my fingerprints were ever on it in terms of writing a bill. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 just impossible to track. Yeah, understood. So another thing that I ran into, um, uh, Richard Garia DeCayu, um had is an astronaut actually yeah. uh, in town. Ultima Online, right? Yep, yep. Ultima Online, exactly. Um, he invited me to uh, an event where um, one of Hillary's campaign managers was in town, um, and I really couldn't care at all about that. I was actually just there to meet him and hang out with him a little bit. So he uh, he was kind of sort of in the back of the room, and I was sort of in the front of the room, kind of right next to the speaker. And he spent a good like twenty minutes sort of explaining what uh, this whole thing about backdoor cryptography was about. And he got pretty heated. There was one other technical guy in the audience, which I was not expecting anyone technical to be there. Uh, but there's one other technical guy who's like, "You can't do it. It's not possible." And he was kind of going back and forth. And he looked at me. Uh, this uh, campaign staffer, and uh, or I guess he was one of the chief of, chief of staff, and he said, you guys are the smart guys. You can figure it out. Well, I didn't believe it to be true, and then I went back to my lab, and I figured it out. I figured out a way to do it, which has got to be one of the worst ideas I've ever come up with, but it's possible. I can actually do it. I know how to do it. I know how to do it in a way that's not absolutely terrible. But I don't think I would ever allow that to happen. You know, this is one of those my personal ethics coming into play because – the problem is when the government gets a little bit too much visibility into what's going on, back to your comment about the drug situation, it basically doesn't allow anyone to ever try to break the law for the benefit of everybody. Because there's a lot of laws that are very unjust, incredibly unjust. I think the drug laws have 
ended up I, my favorite is uh, congratulations uh, to the uh, to drugs for winning the war on drugs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. uh, because I really do think it took a groundswell of people breaking the law uh, for that to finally go. Okay, you know, there's there's room for change here. Right. The back door is a perfect example of where the government was trying even obama came to austin trying to pitch this as an idea and it did not land well by the way the audience did not give like rousing applause to that part of the the, the presentation i think this is the kind of thing where enough people are going to push it anyway that you guys are going to be asked at some point like okay we want this uh, backdoor law like how are you going to stand in front of that freight train like how are you going to are you just going to say cool let's 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 do this uh, hmm. Because this really could, what, what this does, this type of law does, is it freezes all laws in time. You know what? I mean, my gut reaction is to let's go for it. Let the process play itself out. I mean, again, I, I believe in the design of the process that it would be weeded out if it wasn't good policy or it wasn't a good law uh, in many ways. And to me, I would, I would trust being able to kind of run it, through the, run it through that flagpole or run it up that flagpole and through that particular process and give it that you're, shot. You're saying that it would get killed in route. Yeah. I think so. Okay. But yeah, you, I think it probably would. I'd say it would get killed, you know, to begin with. I, for an issue like that, I could think of maybe one member that would even have a, a passing interest in something like this. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, every member gets to vote on something like that eventually if it makes it to the, to the respective floors. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the challenge of how do you pass legislation when the actual understanding of what they're passing just doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And also giving, giving that kind of power, let's say, to the state to have a back door. <laughs> it is, it is a they're, not they're not equipped. It's to, a terrible idea, but it is, well, they, I could make that happen. And here's the problem is a guy like me could, I could actually write that piece of legislation. And I think people would look at it and go, yeah, but it's probably reasonably okay, except for the ramifications of it. Mm -hmm. That's the part that's horrible. It's not the technical part. It's not the, could we do it and could we make it relatively safe? I think we can get past that part. I just don't think it's a good idea for us to freeze all laws in time. Like, I think one of the beautiful parts about this, I think all laws should probably have an expiration date on them just to force everyone to renegotiate. Like, is this something we really want to re-up? Uh, because there's so many laws out there that is very, very poorly written. And I think this is an example of that where um, where if I put this thing in, in place and I could backdoor and watch anybody's who's has any minor protest that some agency believes is the is the is going to overthrow some law and that's law. I mean, that's right. law. Yeah. And so you're saying you want to, you're going to do something illegal here. Um, I think that stifles in innovation in a way that people just really have not grokked. Am I on crack here? No, I, I, think, <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, and again, that goes back to my point again, that government oftentimes is making decisions haphazardly and not knowing what those unintended consequences are or those ramifications that you're speaking to. Um, Okay, th this is a great segue. So what what I think might be an interesting law, although I think it's very unlikely to ever pass, would be a un unintended consequences uh, writer or a law on top of every law. So what it would be is um, every law has to be reviewed by sort of a dissenting party to say, well, we believe that these are, it could be, a, it could be just a similar, it could be the... Um, um, the Office of uh, Accountability Officer, OAG, I think is what sure. it's called. Um, it, somebody like that, where they just say, okay, we believe here are the, the positive things that could happen, but here are all the negative things that could happen. Um, and if 
any of those negative things start happening, it basically, it's a circuit breaker and says, okay, this law needs to go away after some time period, let's say a year or two years or something. And that way we would always have some way to unwind laws that just had weird unintended consequences. Like what, what do you think about that? I mean, there's plenty of examples of, of laws getting passed that have far-reaching unintended consequences. Uh, one that I always talk about is when Illinois passed their uh, anti-drone bill, it actually was written in a way where Google couldn't actually fly their satellites over the state of Illinois for Google Map images. Because the way the language was written, it was way too prescriptive into what actually a drone would be. And that's kind of the balance of what we work on is how do you create policy that is prescriptive enough to accomplish the goals of your clients but not so prescriptive enough that it stifles innovation, particularly right. in, in the areas that we're working in. So that is something that you space being one of those as well, especially for space. Yeah. Uh, we can get to that a little bit further. But mm -hmm. uh, back to your point of how do you how do you get around the unintended consequences? I don't think you can, quite frankly. You go back and readdress the bill in a, in a future session. You go back and recognize that that was the pitfall of it, and you readdress it. But that requires somebody to have a pony in that race to bother to do that. Perhaps. And it might, I, as you said, it might take two or three sessions. That's six years. But of, I also think from what you've presented to us, it, to me, it screams unfunded mandate. What is the cost to the state? Yeah. What is it streamlining? What is what is what is it doing? What is the value add for going down this particular wormhole? And so less, that less legislation, ideally, or less bad legislation, I guess. Ideally, but you're asking to unwind every legislation historically. Like, what type of man hours and, and you know staff time is going to be dedicated to go through that, or what type of system is it going to cost to have the software available to comb through legislation that is redundant and one that actually needs to be deserved, or one that's not up for a timeline? Like, yeah, I would, I would say I would say probably retroactive laws. You know, we could leave those on for now. But you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, this do, is, I'm you. one person with one opinion, and yeah, there's yeah. 180 other people that are going to look at it from a different perspective. Sure. And so that's the uphill battle that you have in getting that legislation passed. We, well, we do have something that is kind of similar to what you're talking about. Uh, one of the best things that the state actually does in Texas is we have what's called the Sunset Advisory Commission. And they are a, a, a select group of five members from the House, five members from the Senate, and two members of the general public. And their goal is to look at every state agency on a rotating 12-year schedule and decide, is this state agency meeting their mission effectively and efficiently? And if they're not, they can make recommendations to, to reform that agency or then go so far as to get rid of that agency completely. So we do have a little bit of a background mm -hmm. here in Texas or a backstop here in Texas to look at what are some unintended consequences. For the agency specifically. For the agency yeah. specifically. And, That's and right. those were also, sorry, Andy, I know Go you ahead. That's right. And those were also be put into play by bad actors, former agency heads that have, have misstepped and had forced new leadership coming up in the ranks to to add more accountability, to add more governance, to to ensure that these bad actors are going to be removed from office and we're not going to be put back into that position. Sure. So two things on my end. One is that this sounds very similar to something that just got put in place a handful of years ago in, in the governor's office where, you know, these state agencies, they come out with rules, they do rulemaking, you know, we, we they pass a bill and then it most of the time requires these state agencies that oversee whatever to make some rules to further define, you know, what, what this is actually going to do in practice and all that. Sure. The governor's office now has its own little office within his office that reviews every single rule that comes out from a state agency to make sure that it's not anti-competitive. Hmm. And so, and it'll kick it back to them and say, no, this is, this is, meet mustard. this is anti-competitive. This is anti-FTC. We're not doing it. Go back and try it again. Interesting. So there's that. The other thing is that what this sounds like to me of what you're proposing sure. is 
I'm just throwing Some, it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. No, no, you're branded I, to us. Your I, call, no. own it. I call the legislature the front end of the law, mm-hmm. where if we don't like a law, we don't have to go and sue over it. We just go make a new one mm-hmm. or amend it or change it, which I like way better than being in the courtroom. Sure. But honestly, if it's an unintended consequence, that's when you go to court. I mean... But, and that's that is not a satisfactory answer it to you, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's what I mean. That's the other branch. You and know, that's where the attorney general's office comes in. They can provide yeah. clarification through an opinion sure. and or what have you. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I've seen and a lot of the executive agency and the rulemaking side too, where there's another stop in the process to influence that change as well. If you don't like that unintended consequence, mm-hmm. so again, that's part of the checks and balances that was again there by design by original intent. Mm-hmm. Um, is it? perfect by any means absolutely not but again um it's there you know there's a foundation for us to follow there's there's guidance there's principles there mm-hmm. so let's uh let's broaden it a little bit to the the entire united states now because i think this is uh this is this is going to hit home to more people i mean texas is interesting but i think sure. this is a microcosm so i think in general we have this weird thing happening where we have taken this very tiny commerce clause um, and turned it into this massive wedge that allows every random thing to be called commerce, even if it has nothing at all to do with commerce, just someone visiting their their grandma or whatever, commerce. Like, <laughs> how is that commerce? So who's spending money on doing that? It's just, they're just, they're walking 10 feet across a, a border and suddenly that's somehow commerce. Um, so... First of all, do you guys have any opinions on these commerce clause and this gigantic wedge? Like, how did we go from commerce clause to the TSA? So I'm going to give uh, I'm going to give my <laughs> partisanship is, away is a, here pretty, pretty I was clearly. Say, uh, this this might be the question that blows the partisanship. <laughs> yeah, thing open. Uh, the, the the commerce clause is the biggest sham perpetrated on the American public that they don't know about, or most of them don't know about, or are not aware about how it impacts their lives on a day to day basis. Uh, it's bullshit, uh, quite frankly. Uh, mm-hmm. If that doesn't give it away to your viewers, I don't know what, what will. <laughs> but, uh, but, the, but the Commerce Clause, I would say, is one of the largest tools for government overreach that we've seen in, in, in my lifetime, at least. Mm-hmm. You know, the, what they've been able to come in and what the federal government's been able to claim as an as a inherited power because of the Commerce Clause mm-hmm. uh, is shocking to most. Should so be shocking. Do you know people. the time frame that that happened, where that started getting that way? I mean, you're going back to the 1700s with the initial passage of the Commerce Clause. I mean, when it started being used in this way, it seems like it's a fairly relatively new thing, right? 20 years-ish. It, it's grown, uh, but I would say even going back to the initial passage of the Commerce Clause, it's been used to mm-hmm. kind of consolidate power into, into, Colonies, into, yeah, into, states, the, federal, yeah. into the federal government. Go ahead. All right. I mean, how do I do this without giving it away? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say, aside from Commerce Clause specifically, sure. I would say you know, a lot of this goes back to, you know, what people want to call original intent of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and all that. It's like, you know, freedom of speech does not mean I can say whatever I want to you or or that you can't stop me from saying something I want to say. It means that the government can't tell you that you can't say it. Sure. You know what I mean? And, and, a lot of this stuff, I feel like, has been perverted I mean, over time. Will, Will Smith and... uh, made his point very clear <laughs> the other night. So, yeah. So, that, I mean, that is a form of censorship, despite the fact that it is not government-sponsored censorship. Right, but it's also not First Amendment. Sure, agreed. You know, it and, isn't. And, and people just, I don't know, man, like, 
I don't want to go too far down the like we're in idiocracy now, but like this is the second time that's come up on this show. In Jesus, just a couple of weeks. you know, I mean, <laughs> just I don't know. People just, just uh, nitpicky, nitpicky, and they're just not they're not well informed, or they don't care, or it's very uh, selfish, me, me, me kind of thing, or something. But I mean, I feel like a lot of these constitutional amendments have been blown way far off from what the original actual intent was. I do not want to get started. Commerce Clause is just another one. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Cycling through the amendments yeah. at this point and figuring out yeah. what is ripe and palatable for discussion. You, know, yeah. you could pick any particular amendment or go through any particular one in the Constitution and, and I think have conversations about it. Um, and so to the point, I don't know, we, we're 400, you know, 400 years removed from the, the original signing of that document. You know, do you take into consideration the timing, the changes that have happened in our history and our society and go back and re- readjust to your point here about the legislation that you mentioned a second ago? Like 400 years? 300 years. I don't know. My I, math I, might I, be I, off. Something like we do this because we're not wait, math majors. I, 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 <laughs> you guys nodded. I'm like, wait. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah, whatever. Uh, but point still stands in some way that, you know, old antiquated laws in some sense maybe need to be revisited and and and, and have a debate around them again um, and so in that sense I can appreciate the sense of revisiting these topics but um, I also don't want to get too far away from again the foundation of what created this country and what allowed us to to turn into the state that we are today to be quite honest with you I mean Texas is the ninth largest economy in the world and without the Commerce Clause I personally believe that we could be a little further up you know what regulations that the federal government's placed right. on, the, on the state of Texas that we could if for internal purposes only here in the state, exploit or, 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 or profit on. There's a lot of stuff out there that we could be doing, but with, without federal regulation, you know, we couldn't. So uh, it, it's a very interesting dynamic to see that I would say the state's actually being held back a little bit. Yeah, by the, the way the, energy's, the energy industry energy here in Texas has pushed back especially. against the APA and sued them for the last decade. I mean, AG's forever just sending something back over back and forth to them, you know, because it's stifling that uh, industry right now. And that's a huge impact here in Texas. Yeah, I've heard a couple of times uh, that the Texas uh, legislature has banded around the idea of like kicking the TSA out of Texas, for instance. And then the federal government says, well, if you do that, then no airplanes ever land in Texas kind of thing. So, right. I mean, they're using this as a pretty enormous wedge to put in whatever they want, anywhere they want, um, which you know, sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it may not be good at all. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it's just kind of what happens in a globalized world. I mean, we're all, I mean, in, you know, and I hate to go into Russia and everything, but like we're finding out very damn fast. And so is Russia, how everybody is connected through trade agreements and, you know, reliance on exports and imports and that sort of thing. I mean, one thing can cascade all the way across. And I mean, yeah, it sucks. TSA sucks. We don't like it. Mm-hmm. But I like well, also fl- I like flying more than I hate <laughs> TSA, you know, and if But they also aren't police officers, which is even the weirder thing. So we've given we've given civilians the ability to do all kinds of terrible things. Just just 911, 9/11, 9/11. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I remember I I think I remember that day better than a lot of people because a lot of people they kind of like, well, like how do we end up here? And I'm like well, everyone was screaming for legislation. Right. Everyone was. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember thinking, I don't know that what you're asking for is well thought out, but, you know, I'm just one voice amongst a That's mass. how we ended up with the Patriot Act, too. That's how we ended up at war as well. Um, the wrong kind of war as well in some ways. But Something um, I practice, preach at home with my family and kids, and then we practice here at the office, is removing the emotion from the argument. And I don't think that happens often <laughs> enough, you know? Mm-hmm. 
um, in a lot of these conversations. There was a lot of soccer moms who wanted to go to war that day. Um, and I think that's what happened. That's how we are now having people touching our junk when we go through Air Force security. <laughs> We're seeing the mama bears do it in our schools right now. And yeah, I was going to say school boards and school boards and such. Like well, that. I'm glad you guys mentioned schools here. <clears throat> so I have a little pop quiz for you guys. Hope you guys like Are quizzes. you smarter than a Texas third grader? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we'll see yeah, here. Kinda. So feel free to take a gander and pass around as you see fit. So the USDA had a food pyramid once upon a time. You guys are probably old enough to remember that as I uh, did. They uh, got rid of that in uh, 2005 and replaced it with something called the My Pyramid, which I was thinking as part of this, it would be interesting to talk about more wide widespread uh, bizarre things coming from the federal government uh but i found it even weirder than i thought um it went as i went down the rabbit hole which is typically how this happens because mm -hmm. no one ever does the research but um so uh this is a full replacement for the food pyramid which was as you guys probably remember actual pyramid where right. there's blocks and mm -hmm. it uh, was on top of the block this is more like raised to space sort of uh vibe going on for those who you can't see it um colorful thing so um i don't know if you want to if you want to go first here uh which of the uh rays do you believe is the largest if you were to guess this is some optical illusion. <clears throat> no, just which one do you think is largest? Like which one is recommended to have the most of? Yeah, which one? Uh, which one do you think you should be eating the most of per day? Based on that, let's say vegetables or grains. So by weight, grains are six ounces, veggies are six point two ounces, fruits are five ounces, milk is twenty four ounces. Jesus. And big, meat big and milk coming in <laughs> strong. I got to love it. Meat and beans are 5.5 ounces. So Did you say Franken beans? Oh, you said meat. <laughs> meat and beans are 5.5 ounces. So d does that feel like the right disparity just visually and just taking a look at that thing? Probably it, not. Or does that even no. look close yeah, to Yeah, I would you say guys? that's not the scale. <laughs> okay. I saw something on uh, Twitter or Instagram or something the other day about, about this in particular mm -hmm. um, and saying, you know, back in the 80s, Big milk convinced all of our parents that we need to be drinking gallons and gallons a day, or oh, we'll else get, our bones oh, were going to turn to dust. We'll, we'll, we'll get to milk in a second. Um, so, uh, on this, which is a supplemental document, the second half of it, um, which you can take a look at as you feel free, um, it says eat at least three ounces of whole grain. And then below it, it says eat six ounces every day. So, which is it? Um, you have to eat. It just hurt my brain there. <laughs> uh, very, very bizarre. Um, looking at the thing, um, where do you think the beans are on that? Uh, take a look. Um, I know the other the uh, the rays rays from space here. Where do you where do you see the beans on there? In the purple stripe. I mean, maybe that's a bean. It could be a <laughs> maybe a, a deer print or something. Yeah, there, I don't know. there there are there are beans on there. It's, uh, this is this is this like is, where's Waldo, but a shitty where's Waldo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there they are. I see them. They're in the vegetables. Okay, great, great. Uh, they're also Wait, under. What? Yeah, they're in the vegetables. Uh, but weird. they're also uh, under the meat and beans category. In so beans blue. are on there twice. Oh, yeah. oh, it's the Morpheus red and blue pills. Yes, <laughs> that, yes. It looks like uh, literal pills, like uh, like Tylenol <laughs> or something. Um, so how many times does milk appear on that? Uh, things that recognizably are milk, milk say they are milk. Looks like three. Three. Three times on, on a single document. 
uh, how much fruit juice should you have on this thing says go easy on fruit juices so no explanation about how much just go easy on them um and it says about 60 minutes a day of physical activity may be needed to prevent weight gain however children need to gain weight otherwise they stay children right so <laughs> there's there's sort of a not particularly well thought out idea on <laughs> what weight is useful for as an adult um so this all got removed in 2011, and now is <laughs> replaced by this thing called MyPlate. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Now, MyPlate is a much more simplified version of the same thing. Uh, there's only five categories, um, uh, meat, vegetables, uh, sorry, meat, beans, and vegetables, fruit, and dairy. Dairy is just like sitting off there to the <laughs> side, uh, big old, big old chunk of dairy hanging out. Um, so... Uh, this was based on, there's a supplemental documented there, which I did not bother printing, which is a 164 page document that explains all the things you need to know and how to process this one icon, uh, right there. And you're thinking, okay, it's, it's gotta be better than this rays from space thing. Oh no, 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 no. It's exactly as bad as that, except it's now 164 pages filled with all kinds of bizarre things largely about milk, uh, about breastfeeding and the, how useful milk is and how dairy should be considered, et cetera, et cetera. But mm -hmm. there's also other things. It never once mentions things like glycemic index. Mm. Um, it never discusses the fact that uh, tomatoes actually are not a vegetable. Uh, <laughs> it puts them, or sorry, it puts them in the vegetable category instead of fruits. Um, same thing with yams. It messes that up as well. Uh, so there's all kinds of very large technical inaccuracies in this document, which has been revised at least twice in my lifetime by theoretically people who are supposed to do this thing for a living, right? I just don't understand how you get a hundred pages in and, <laughs> and still mess up tomatoes. <laughs> uh, it's, it, and, it, and it mentions BMI many times, I think five, six times in the document, uh, usually is uh, things you need to reference uh, elsewhere outside the document. Uh, which is one of the most Awful. unbelievably terribly yep. written pieces of technical thing. People are still focused on weight. They're like, mm -hmm. I'm not losing weight. Well, that's because you're gaining muscle. Mm -hmm. um, so first of all, just looking at that, first of all, who do you think the audience for that document is? I'm assuming it's my third grader. Okay. The 164-page document oh, I'm, as I'm well. I'm assuming just the little character uh, that image sure, there. Sure, that and the 64-page document. Who, who gets to read what? Who's that for? I mean, I would say the infographic would be more towards children and the actual hundred and whatever page document would be for the parents. But I, I would imagine not a lot of folks are out there taking the time to read a 160 page document on. Yeah, I would say school school personnel. Mm -hmm. um, Leadership, mm -hmm. yeah. Health and PE. Yeah. Those, yeah, those departments. Maybe mm -hmm. nutritionists specifically. So Stanford uh, created their own version of the same document. Oh, my uh, God. One pager? <laughs> also one pager. But this time it has things like oils on there. Yeah. Uh, oils and salts. And instead of dairy, it has water, uh, which water is really not mentioned hardly at all yeah, um, in the 164 doc. It, it is a couple times, but nowhere near as much as milk. Milk is, you know, many, many, many times. I think it's more than five times more times. So... Um, my opinion is this is certainly meant for um, teachers to teach children how to eat, mm -hmm. right? And 
the unfortunate part is this is actually being used by schools. Uh, so they're saying, well, you have to have one of each thing or whatever. And they're coming up with these dietary things. So uh, this is uh, a local elementary school. Uh, this is their Friday breakfast. And now they get to choose options, but you have to choose a certain amount of options and you only get one mm -hmm. from each category. So it is possible for a breakfast for um, you know, a, a young child to have for breakfast a glazed donut, orange juice, and chocolate skim milk. Hmm. That is their that is their nutritious breakfast. That if you actually read their guidelines, actually makes a lot of sense. Um, so this isn't just staying in its tiny little like there's here's how teachers are teaching children sort of world. This is trickling down to millions of American children. And of course, their parents being told from their kids, oh, I need to have this and that. And they're sort of learning it from their kids. Mm -hmm. Or maybe occasionally they will read this 164 page document or it gets translated and translated and they get some digested version from some article somewhere. Um, first of all, how did this law, how did this thing come to be? If you were going to make this atrocity, how would you make this atrocity? I think this has seemed, this goes back to kind of the unintended consequences conversation I had earlier. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it started probably with good intentions of government trying to provide some sort of guideline to folks who may not know what a nutritious meal would actually look like, you know. It, and then from there, one of the purposes, I think, of, of a lot of federal agencies these days is to just justify their existence and their continued existence. So you see the, the them coming back and providing new guidelines and, oh, we have new information, here's the new set of guidelines to follow. But that's a way to kind of keep themselves in business, quite frankly. Uh, so I think it started out as kind of uh, uh, beneficial guidelines. But mm -hmm. from there, it, it kind of morphed into its own mutant kind of previous, what it looked like previously. Yeah, it, it kind of sounds like the old dumb joke of, you know, what do you get when you ask a committee to draw a horse? A camel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it's this Frankenstein crazy-ass document, you uh -huh. know, and, and these these weird decisions. of And I mean... This uh, breakfast menu mm -hmm. is very similar to my son's breakfast menu. I'm sure you know? it, it probably is almost identical. Yeah. Maybe maybe some of the brands are swapped out or something. Yeah. And it's funny. Sorry, um, you know, I said earlier, you know, big milk, big dairy, whatever. But that honestly might not be that far off. Um, you know, dairy farms in the U.S. are corn industry. Uh, yeah, corn industry. I mean, you know, that it very well could have been a targeted lobby effort to ensure that the dairy industry has business going forward to have the USDA recommend a certain amount of milk for dairy products to every kid in the U.S. I mean, that's a pretty damn effective and very targeted, specific way to ensure your business continues. Genius. I, I, I don't know if it's true, yeah. but... I'd also, like, walk back, you know, you said it's been changed twice in your lifetime, right? And this is something that I know the three of us kind of grew up with that food pyramid. Sure. Um, goes back to, again, the age of information. This wasn't, you know, that type of information wasn't disseminated readily. You couldn't get on the internet and do that fact-finding and figure out what's locally sourced and what does that mean, how to get good nutritional value. And so, as Chris maybe said, you know, this was probably a good attempt by government to create that that guidance, that document for parents and for school systems uh, to help guide. And then there was probably some industry influence behind it as well. And, you know, with that, you get what was created and then over time you go back and revisit it and you've got new influence and you've got new priorities that get injected into it but it's still a guiding a guiding document that's going to be served there and that's part of what what we mentioned here about the outset with our firm too is looking at a lot of these antiquated laws and these systems and recognizing that government lags and trying to see how we can help bridge those gaps with policy or with technology 
um, because oftentimes it's not government that's going to be the steward of it. It's, it's going to be industry driving it. If they're not at the table, there's going to be these crazy-ass laws that are getting passed. <laughs> I just wonder where the actual experts are. Because an actual expert would take one look at that, any one of these documents and just shake their head and go, wait, hold on. <laughs> and, it, and I am not an actual expert. <clears throat> I'm just some guy who did a little research and I can find maybe a hundred flaws with the three or four documents I showed you. How do we get actual experts in the room to actually take a look at these things and provide real feedback? I mean, I'm fine with the lobbyists being in the room. That's fine. And maybe that's how the, the legislation gets done. Is there a way to provide some actual technical feedback from somebody who knows what they're talking about? Well, I mean, one of the things that I specifically tell uh, clients and legislators, too, is, hey, look, I know you don't want to hear from me. I get <laughs> that. I'm a hired gun. I'm not an expert on this. All I'm here to do is to get access to you for this person over here who is a, an expert. And mm -hmm. so... I don't want to be the one talking. I sure as hell don't want to be the one in a committee hearing testifying. I, I have no business being up there. <laughs> we need the experts. You know, I, I get a, my, my nursing client in here to talk to you about this stuff. I don't want to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting. I can I can shoot the shit with you and, and be your friend and have a relationship and all that. But when it really comes down to it, I want to get my client in there to be the one to talk about but if, it. But if that's the case and it is big dairy, I mean, I'm not even saying you're wrong. <laughs> I think you might even be right. I don't know. Uh, based on what I saw, dairy had a lot of influence where it doesn't really make a ton of sense. But um, why is it always dairy's lobbyists with dairy's experts? Why isn't it dairy's lobbyists with experts? experts how does that how does how does that ever happen what, or business, or just never money. happen happens do those do those experts show up i mean do they do they have their own association do they have their own you know advocacy efforts uh i'll give you a quote from my favorite president of all time it's actually a fictional president it's the president bartlett from the show west wing mm -hmm. uh he has a line in that show where he says you know decisions are made by those who show up if you don't show up to be part of the process, you're going to get run over by the process. And if the, if there are experts out there who have an expertise to lend to the people making decisions, they need to be involved in the process, quite frankly. And that's not you know me going out there and saying, hey, hire a lobbyist. It's just show up, meet your local member, be, become an expert and a resource for them, because that is something they look for. They do look for the people that, that especially locally, have the expertise that they need to craft good legislation. Big Dairy showed up to ensure that those three glasses of milk were put on the Ensure, get it? You know sure. what I mean? Ensure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th I think it is a bit odd that dairy, uh, that pieces of milk appear three times in a document. That's a, mm -hmm. it's a perfect example of that. An actual expert will go, hey, maybe you don't have it on there three times. Maybe you have it on there just the once. Uh, that is a good example of dairy that you could have, but there's many other types of dairy. But, you know, that that yoga instructor, that nutritionist wasn't there during that committee hearing to provide that public commentary, that yoga testimony, instructor. <laughs> you know, to, to tell you what was going on on the other side of, you know, of why milk is not good for you, why you shouldn't be. There was no one there to push up against that argument. And so what you saw happen likely is big business came in there with their lobby team and they articulated and they crafted it and they brought in their own experts to help influence that conversation and ensure it and drive it in with a nail. Well, I mean, two examples of this, you know, one, Honestly, before we even joined up together, I tried my damnedest to create a Texas food truck association hmm. because food trucks were on the rise. They were everywhere, but then they were also getting shoved out for zoning and they didn't have 
any, they weren't able to show up. That was one of my bills, by the way. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> nice. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> uh, they <get> killed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I, I tried really hard to go and get a bunch of food trucks uh, uh, to to join together and and create an association and hire me as a lobbyist and all that. And they just you know they weren't interested. And so it was like, all right, well you're gonna get run over. Um, and the other example is honestly, Robert, what we've been talking with you about on the side about mm-hmm. you know cryptocurrency or not cryptocurrency um uh, cybersecurity thank you um getting cybersecurity groups together to have a unified exponentiated voice over there at the capitol and and you know those decisions are being made the people that show up are are helping to inform them and if if a certain segment of the population that are actually experts in this don't show up i mean there's no telling what's going to happen. Just shit in your hand and see what you got. I mean, at that point, I mean, it, that, it is what it is. You know, if you don't show up, somebody's going to make that decision. Somebody's going to have that conversation. Yeah, it's going to have an adv- adverse impact on your business and on your industry, and you're going to recognize that after the fact, post facto, right? And and then you're going to be stuck there with your dick in your hand, right? And figuring out <laughs> yeah. how to how to move forward, how to how to get through, how to navigate the process. Yeah. So that's when you're calling us, and so you know we'll take the retainer on at that time too, uh, and work with that particular client, but. What we try to advocate is having that run ramp, having the ability to develop the rapport, cultivate the relationships with these legislators. That's what's driving the needle forward. Without yeah. that type of relationship building, you can throw any type of priority at the Texas legislature, but that doesn't mean it's going to stick. That doesn't mean you're going to be married, that they're, that they're going to marry and, and find some attraction to your idea. All right. So for cybersecurity, for instance, or space or anything, maybe maybe it's not an individual expert like myself maybe it's a pack um so can you guys first explain what a pack is for the people who have no idea and then make <laughs> <it's> attorney <laughs> yeah. yeah that's me um yeah so a pack is uh, the the acronym i guess um for political action committee um they are set up specifically to grab um individual contributions from individual people to pull together and like I said before, exponentiate your impact. So, uh, you know, the, the whole point of having a PAC is to give money to legislators, um, to candidates, elected officials, whatever. And really the whole point of that, and look, people can bitch and complain about it all they want, about, well, you're buying votes, you're buying this, you're bribing, all that. It's legal bribery, whatever. Okay, fine. But it is what it is, and it exists. So and it is. It is exactly that. It, 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 you know, it it may be. Don't but, answer that. Case. But it's, it's. I mean, it's legal. So I don't know what to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a part of the process. It's a part of the process. And if you know, money is unfortunately a very big part of the process. Mm-hmm. You don't win a race without money. You just don't. Um, you can have gimmicks. You can have. You can get up on an oil rig, uh, topless, topless. And did you see that? No. Yeah. There's, no there's, there's, a, about. there's a candidate for the railroad commission that um, the female uh, got up on an oil rig, topless, and sent it out everywhere, and was like, "This is I'm I'm whatever I'm running for whatever." And, That's freedom loving right there. And and she got <laughs> made the runoff. She made the runoff. Yeah, she made the Sex runoff, sells. and she got all of the exposure that she needed. Pun not intended. Um, that would have been a good pun, but but, I'm right <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> um, but you know it, that that's kind of the link that she's had to go to because she is not raising money. Did she win? She's in she the runoff. runoff. I see. Yeah. Okay. So, wow. Okay. So yeah, I mean, you know, my wife but, voted for her. I didn't even realize it. Oh, really? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Threw her under the bus. But uh, you know, the, the, the other side of that is, I mean, there is a 
gigantic amount of money going into these races. Mm. Uh, I mean, a, a state house race in Texas right now, minimum quarter million dollars, I would guess, if not half. Um, and what is the what is the lifetime of these? Um, Good question. I mean, how, how long does it take to actually go through that entire process and actually get yourself elected or kicked out? So Not a couple long. months, yep. yeah, half a months. Yeah, it depends on the depends on the race. If it's a if it's a very solid R or D seat, it's a primary only race, so you could be done by March. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, you go through to November and have it there when it's you know R versus D. Mm -hmm. But I mean, uh, you know, a political action committee, you get a bunch of people that would otherwise, you know, if Dustin's running for office, Chris could give him a hundred dollars, I could give him a hundred dollars, you could give him a hundred dollars, or we could three of us get together, have a pack, put all of our money into it together, and then give him a $300 check. And it just kind of exponentiates the voice of that, you know, $300 versus 100 is not very much. But when you get, you know, everybody was going to give him 1000 and then we have 20 people together, then all of a sudden we're giving him a really big check. Mm -hmm. And like it or not, that gets you access um, you you get FaceTime with that person with a big check. Yeah, it's and also power of a brand, law and numbers, right? It's a grassroots and a grass topped advocacy component that's built into this. Um, and it's tied back to these voters at the end of the day, right? And so all of it is aligned in some sort of way within our system. Um, and so, again, to the point of it's an integral part of our process. They're here. They're, there's, they do serve a purpose um, in, in terms of effectuating the change and getting folks elected, serving for marketing purposes, getting industry involved and bringing people to the table. That's, you know, that's a viable part of our process. And here in Texas, again, coming back to us having a two year cycle, 18 months of that time is really spent out on the campaign trails, creating these new relationships, uh, figuring out what the pulse is back in the market and, and, and what those priorities may look like in shape. That way we can then come back to our clients and say, hey, look, this is what's coming down the pike or here's what our experts Here's what our expert opinion might be on how on how the deck may fall in the next coming months. And and I know that you know I was shitting on the First Amendment earlier, but <laughs> <laughs> he likes it. But but <clears throat> part of it is freedom of association. Mm -hmm. And there have been challenges to say you know you shouldn't be able to have packs and we need to get rid of packs and and all that. And and I can appreciate the effort and all of that, but that is that is one hundred percent freedom of association. If if the government came in and said, we're going to write a new law that says you can't form together as a group and give money to people uh, running for office, I, that is 100% a constitutional violation. You think so? Yeah. Interesting. So a friend of mine uh, came up with an interesting idea. I will not take credit for this one, but I thought it was interesting. Um, he said, what if we created a PAC, and the entire purpose of this PAC was to find people who were less extreme than the other person that they're running for you know so there's a runoff there's two people one of them is way right or way left and the other person's slightly less you know just even a tiny bit less give them money and just keep doing that and progressively walk it back into the center um what do you what do you guys think of that you should take credit for that it's a genius idea <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely uh, center you know there there are a lot of groups out there political groups who survive just by keeping people pissed off because they know that if they can make you pissed off and keep you pissed off, they can take your money. And once they take your money, ethics attorney here, there's very little constraints on what they can actually do with that money. They're not like a private 501c3. They can pretty much have carte blanche to do what they will with that money. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of very well-fed folks in the state based purely on keeping people politically pissed off on both sides, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, with, without a doubt. Um, 
look, I really like that idea. I um, do too. I think there's a lot of merit to it. The, I, the keeps problem, you honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, sure the, the problem comes, you know, the, the the whole problem with the process as it is right now is that, um, you know, we have different party primaries before we end up at a general election. Um, and I don't know how you do it differently, but we have to, you know, each party has their own primary. If you want to win your primary, you have to be more Republican than your opponent or more Democrat than your opponent or more liberal than your opponent mm -hmm. to win that primary. And then you have to scramble your ass back to the center to try and win the independence in the general election against the the other side. So, and that's what happens in the presidentials all the time. So why, why is that? I mean, I'm not naive, but I would like to hear your take on that. Why do you have to be more extreme than the guy next to you to win? Why can't you be more centrist? Why why can't you be more moderate? And just... it's, it's been a game of chicken that's been playing out for the past 20 years, I would say, maybe mm -hmm. even further than that. And that, you know, yes, you might be seen as the, this and there's plenty of examples of this happening. Mm -hmm. You might be coming in as the most far right crazy person in the world. But 10 years from now, that target has shifted so far to your right that you're seen as this crackball liberal who's going to, you know, give everybody's money away and make us all communists. It, it happens all the time because mm -hmm. you can't go further back towards the middle anymore. That that bridge is burned, basically. The only route for you then, if you want to come in and challenge somebody, is to come out as the more extreme, as the more far right or far left candidate, because that's the only deal that's out there. And as I go back to my previous point of there's people out there who are paid to keep you pissed off to take your money, that's who's funneling and fueling those groups. It's it's They're there because they know those... Give me an example. Uh, <laughs> without naming okay. names, uh, okay. there's, right, a, there's, right, a, there's a certain empowering organization uh, in, in Texas. Uh, Texas, sorry. Who, who has made a very <laughs> good, good uh, niche for themselves of finding far-right candidates to run against folks that, for whatever reason, go against the dogma of this group. And they are well-funded by maybe a handful of four or five very wealthy oil tycoons in the state. Mm -hmm. And they their names aren't seen anywhere on any of the documents except for maybe the forming documents. But those messages being delivered are coming directly from those four or five people. So if you're a far-right group or a far-right voter in Texas, you're being influenced by a group of four or five different people that you have no idea even exist. Mm -hmm. But because they have billions of dollars, they're impacting the way you vote because those groups are telling you you should be pissed off, and here is a whole list of made-up reasons why. And they are blowing you up with social media and mail and all kinds of stuff to, to, to make sure that you are seeing that message. And they're spending so much money to do it. but And, and honestly, to not great success, but I think it is it's interesting psychologically messing with people and and implanting in them well, it that might be just they disrupting the be. norm within the political kind of landscape and creating kind of this new this new form of, of interaction with the government and or with with the legislature and, and the campaign folks on the elected yeah and I, I feel like i hear all the time you know pundits being hyperbolic and saying oh there is no bottom there's no bottom to this and and i don't know if there is i i don't know how to come back from the brink. Um, it, I mean, there's got to be parties, some, I guess, some kind right? of seismic shift or, or some, I mean, like I was saying, you know, at the Capitol, I mean, a lot of people going to jail or a lot of people dying or something really bad happening, showing that we've got to come back to the middle to, to get real stuff done. Because, I mean, you know, the, the, the edges of either party are not... They're bomb throwers. They're not 
working with the other side to get something done and mm -hmm. actually pass a bill. I think but it's short memory. Fortunately, fortunately that, that group is pretty small. It's small, but they're really loud. Mm -hmm. They're loud, but I also think there's like short memory spans that also exist kind of in just the general public or the voting bases, right? That they they forget what happened three or four years ago, even though that person's still in office, right? So it just it's in the media cycle. It's in that news cycle. And then once it's done there, it, it's beyond people. And so they don't hold them accountable for, for past transgressions or, or votes that were ill-informed or that were caused, you know, damage to their particular perspective or perspective, excuse me. And I would say it's it's becoming easier to take to pick off incumbent elected officials these days, because once you have a voting record and once you actually have something I can attack you on directly, as yep. opposed to just saying you're just a, a random general citizen and, you know, there's nothing I'm to a car dealer. Yeah, you're just a car <laughs> dealer. There's nothing to compare you against it, politically. <clears throat> but if you have a voting record as a car dealer, I can find maybe one or two votes you might have taken that I can then turn into saying you're now a card-carrying member of the Communist Party of America. That it lemon happened. you sold me. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. That lemon you sold me is now you're selling or that lemon. Hummer. You know? Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, the the vote that you take, the vote that you don't take, you know, I mean, sometimes they walk votes so that they don't have to be on the record voting for or against a certain bill. Sure. Well, then you're derelict in duty and you're not even showing up to your job and blah, 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 when really like you were just standing in the back <laughs> making sure you're not on record there. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you can you can twist everything and anything so and you don't agree with showing up to work <laughs> <laughs> all right so for those playing along at home i think now is the time to get your votes in and what you think uh these three fine gentlemen's uh political views are so pause it if you need to write it down um and uh okay who wants to go first i yeah all right sure, go ahead. um yeah i'm a democrat okay uh republican Republican, but I lean libertarian. Interesting. Do you guys care to wager what I am? Republican. Libertarian. <sighs> million different ways I can see it going, <laughs> which is good, though, which is a good thing. I mean, I would, if I had to put money on it, go to Vegas and put money on it right now, I'd say libertarian, but more of a moderate libertarian. I think that's pretty close, actually. Um, I am very, very centrist, but I also really don't think the government is doing a particularly good job almost anywhere, at least every time I dig in. It, and that's that's usually a good sign. So I come to the computer security world. When I someone hands me something, my first gut instinct is, this is probably fine. And then I start playing with it, and I'm like, this is definitely not fine. Um, and the further I go and the more I have done over my many copious years of doing this, the more I've realized everything's not fine. Everything's always very broken. And I don't have to spend much time looking at it. To, I can just see a misspelling somewhere. I'm like, okay, their, their QA is terrible. I can, I'm <laughs> going to be able to find all kinds of issues. Copyright's out of date. You know, this thing isn't patched. Like, I don't even have to go very far at all. I have a similar impression of the government. It's just so full of that kind of stuff. And from what I've actually talked to, I've been, you know, two floors under the Pentagon. I've seen how the sausage is made. I know that it is not as you know sparkly and clean and and as great as everyone hopes it would be, and that makes me much more wary of implementing laws because I know the unintended consequences are just hiding right around the corner, and I know no one smart is even in the room. You know what I mean? Or if they are smart, they are totally biased in one direction or another. Right. So that forces me much to be much more moderate than I might normally be, if that makes sense. I mean, you know. Look, I, and I'm not going to walk it back. Sure. I am a Democrat. I've okay, always voted. Fine. I've always been a Democrat. I've always been that. Um, <clears throat> my parents are super liberal, you know, all that. Um, 
but I'm also like more apolitical, jaded, honestly, <laughs> a little bit from from working in it. You know, mm-hmm. same thing. Like, see, we see the sausage made. We have you, been you the sausage. sausage. Yeah. We have been the yeah. sausage casing. Yeah, I mean, uh, and you know, I I don't want to. I don't want to say that it's a game. It's not a game because there's a lot at stake. There's a there's a lot of lives at stake and all of that. Yeah, of course, but, it's very serious stuff. But I mean, there there are kind of a certain set of rules. There are a certain set of players. It's kind of a. I mean, people say it's like three D chess, um, and, and it is. I mean, um, I, I kind of take. I mean, we st- we started off with this talking about you know kind of pulling yourself out of the politics of it and everything. We, we take our, our own personal politics out of it entirely uh, when we go up there. And I honestly have have gotten to a point where I'm seeing more of the person than the party. Um, maybe not when I vote, but uh, <laughs> when I'm up there at the Capitol, you know, um, because at this point, the parties are so far apart yeah. that it's really hard to even marry who's going to do a good job based on the party anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hate to say this and I certainly hate to say it in a, a recorded setting, but uh, <laughs> we I, can always bleep this yeah, whole section. We might have to be a very big bleep, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I think we've passed a threshold in this country. I really have as far as the partisanship. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the actual public policy is now at the back of anybody's mind. It's not even an afterthought, quite frankly, when it comes to passing laws, I think we've gone to such a hyper-partisan society, and not just in, in politics. I think everything we do in our day-to-day lives is seen through the lens of, of, of party politics. And I don't see a way to draw that back to where it used to be. I don't see a way for it not to be so hypersensitive when it comes to political issues anymore. And that, again, this is probably a, a very something I've regretted in, in the future, but I I think it's leading us towards a very, very dark place as a society. I agree. We're, we're being exploited on that as well. I mean, we saw, you know, whatever your thoughts on, on Russia and the 2020 elections and all that. But like, I mean, there were definitely hacks and hackers in Russia that were feeding misinformation, specifically pushing the partisan divide in that election cycle and current that, and currently that, and that is that is for a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's there. it's be, that that that's hyper partisanship's being exploited by yeah. other external exactly factors. Right. I will I will get somebody in here to talk about that specifically. Don't you worry. <laughs> uh, I know quite a bit about it. Um, how about yourself? Any any? I mean, closing thoughts that? for me again, just kind of being the eternal optimist of the group. Again, believe in the process. Believe that it, you know our forefathers put in some guiding documents and principles that were here for a reason. And for me. Um, there's good people in the industry that are trying to create good value and good policy behind that. I know that us three are here. That's part of our mission with our firm. And there's plenty of politicians uh, outside of these bad actors that really do good justice and um, are honestly underpaid and, and for the type of servant leadership and the value that they bring. Um, you know, I want to continue to give them the glory uh, for what they do every day, too, because without them, we don't have an industry where we exist either. So to me, I'm just a firm believer that, you know, the process here is 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 something that we can all work into uh, and, and engage and do so in a way that, as Chris said, party politics really don't have to play a part in it. We're all people at the end of the day, and there's fine, different strokes for different folks. But finding the way to get it all to work and kind of bring it all together for me is why I show up and go to work every day, and I love what I do. So, All right, gentlemen, how can people follow you or find you? or Sure. We're on way? Twitter at SalientTratTX. Um, 
online on LinkedIn. All of us are on LinkedIn as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, January through May, uh, every odd year, we'll be at the Capitol <laughs> Daily. You can find us there as well. So, uh, personal sure. Instagram, uh, the Chris Sanch. Uh, I'm there on Instagram. Post a lot. So great. Yeah, you're not going to put my Instagram uh, up. No, you're not going to do no, that. No, you know no. better. I, I, I got <laughs> dragged into Instagram against oh, my right. will yeah, like, within the last year. <laughs> I've been. Well, technically, so, me too, because of this podcast. It's funny because I tell people I don't have one Instagram account. I just have a million, um, which is not too far from the truth, actually. I think it's more than that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so, um, guys, I really want to thank you for coming. Uh, this this is, Our pleasure. Yeah, thank you. This was great. Uh, so hopefully we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. Right. Happy to be back. Cheers. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.